Yeah, I don't get this old Zoom thing. Thanks for being here, Frank. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to work this out. We've got a wide variety of music and subjects we're going to be talking about. I should, I should go ahead and, and bore myself one then. Smirna Vanilla. Let me tell you another story, Darren. Andy Dufresne. There's nothing like funk. There is nothing like it, man. When it's, when it's legit, you know what I mean? And it comes from the, the place where, you know, you know it's authentic and originates from. That's all of the, all the artists that started it are the ones that inspire me. Thanks for being here, Frank. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to work this out. Um, you're a busy man. Um, you too. <laughs> <laughs> a little give and take. And um, here we are doing an interview over the internet. That's cool. Um, Absolutely. So um, thanks for taking the time. And we're going to have a whole lot of fun. Everybody out there um, got a wide variety of music and subjects we're going to be talking about. And you heard us open the show there with one of Frank's most famous pieces called Hell March, which is from a video game called Command and Conquer Red Alert. And if any of you are avid video game addicts, you'll recognize that piece. And um, so we're going to have a lot of fun diving into asking Frank about how he composes, what how he comes up with these ideas, how he records it. He's sitting there in his studio in Las Vegas right now. And first things first, we got to get to this tonic. Quench. So, Frank, what are we drinking today? Uh, today, we're just doing a, a very simple drink, uh, a little vanilla vodka and soda. <laughs> um, it's just, uh, it happens just to be one of my favorite drinks. I like, I like alcohol that, that tastes, has some flavor to it, not just like, you know, bitter, you know, harshness. And uh, so I like a variety of, of different drinks in that in that capacity. But this is one of the most simple ones. Um, and really, it's just uh, it's it, it's kind of a concept where, you know, you can have minimal ingredients and still get your bang for the buck. You know, it's still gives you a nice buzz. It still has a nice flavor to it. It's and uh, and it's low on calories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to watch our figures these days. We used to hang out a lot. That was already 25 years ago. So um uh, time is clicking away. But hey, here's to you, man. Cheers. This is literally my first vanilla vodka soda. Okay. <laughs> so I'm excited. All right. So on Sonic Tonic, it's all about kind of being in the moment and not just rushing off into the next thing. 
and like we yeah. have stuff we want to talk about music we want to play and i'm trying to be more mindful and present and going hey what what is in this and how does it taste and how does it make me feel and right away i have to say this is so curious there's two ingredients <laughs> vodka and club soda yeah, and and the vodka is flavored like vanilla, and it literally tastes exactly like those three things. How I mean, there's nothing masking it. There's nothing that can be yeah. confused. No, exactly. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, an alcohol equivalent to a cream soda in a way, but not as sweet. That is a very good analogy. Yes, it's an adult cream soda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, living in Vegas, I mean, that's known for what's one of the biggest party towns in the world. They have bars open 24 hours a day with every kind of drink you could ever get. How do you end up with liking this as one of your favorite drinks? Well, it's it's one of the most common things that, you know, is in most bars. Um, you know, most bars will have vodka. Most bars will have club soda. And so and then if they happen to have flavored vodkas, then cool. You know, then I'll ask for the vanilla. But if not, then I'll just settle for the regular vodka and maybe put a lime in it just to give it something. Um, but you know, that's, it's most commonly found a lot of bars in Vegas have their specialties. That's kind of been a, a trend here. So, you know, they have their, what they call mixologists, you know, and there's these, these bartenders that come up with, you know, really clever and creative, you know, concoctions, you know, and, you know, give them their own unique names and, you know, whatever they're going to do. So, and, and that kind of stuff you can't just get anywhere. So hence, you know, that's why you would want to go to a certain bar because they offer a very specific, you know, set of drinks you know or it's like when you go to a like a tiki theme bar for example and all of the different rum blends they have you know in their specialty drinks you can't just get those anywhere either so it's the same kind of thing but do you um a lot of times this is what you'll order vanilla vodka soda that's what you say when you walk up to the bar yeah i mean that's that's one of my go-tos yeah and then they say oh sorry we don't have any flavored vodkas and then what do you say well, then I'll either go just a regular vodka soda and add a lime to it, or um, or I'll do a margarita. That's another you know favorite of mine. You know, but it's got to have <laughs> Patron in it, man. Okay, <laughs> and that's funny because we just featured my sister last week on my birthday um, for the Sonic Tonic experience, and one of her favorite things is margaritas, and she makes a killer watermelon margarita. Oh, nice! And uh, we used. Cabo Wabo in it. Um, okay, but uh, yeah, it's it's so interesting how all these different subtle mixtures of of a you know a recipe can affect the total sum, right? The whole of it really matters, and that's why I kind of started thinking, man, that's really how music works, and especially someone like you who is also not just a drummer, a singer, guitarist composer but then you're also a producer and an engineer and having to think about a little more hi-hat maybe a little less guitar uh the where you put it in the spectrum it's all similar to like a drink right yeah yeah um and you know similar to the concept of this drink where you've got you know literally two ingredients there's a a band that i like really like uh more of a modern uh rock band um well in the last decade or so uh, called royal blood have you heard of them no yeah, they're a really great band, uh, and it's just a bassist and a drummer, and the bassist is also the singer. And he cleverly has come up with a way to 
run his bass simultaneous through a guitar amp and an octave pedal so that it sounds like there's an octave guitar over his bass riff at all times. And, and he you know uses distortion and cool effects. And so it sounds really full, even though he's only playing a bass line. You know, it just sounds like this big, thick unison riff. And then he's singing really melodically over it and writing clever songs. So literally, you're stripping down music to its bare elements, a melody, a bass line, and a rhythm. He's got a drummer. And, you know, and of course, he harmonizes with himself and all of that. But he will get a couple of um, female singers live to play with them when he plays everything live. But it's still just the two of them, really, at the end of it is the core. And I thought that was such a a great and uh, clever use of that set of instruments you know just to really have have it be that powerful and not feel like it's missing anything yeah that's so awesome i was just listening to some rush um Mm -hmm. last week and they're the same thing right three-piece band um and it just sounds so huge and it's so satisfying because they got all like you said the basics covered rhythm melody harmony and um it's really neat to be your own person and be a composer and go Oh, well, how am I going to fulfill all of those three categories um, yeah. for a song? So explain to people how the heck you and I met years ago. <laughs> how do you remember it? <laughs> um, well, how I remember it was, um, well, basically, I was uh, I was friends with uh, Phil Wigfall, mutual friend of ours. Obviously, you were performing with him already at that point. Sax uh, player fantastic sax player you know one of the best and um and he told me about this group that um he was playing in called uh, diane diaz and the big fish and this was back in i guess 95 end of 95 or so 96 i think yeah yeah well 96 is when i is when i actually you know got on board with you but um i had been watching the band go- going to see them since late 95 mm-hmm. and i was really impressed with the band i thought you guys sounded great were killer just you know phenomenal musicianship and tunes that were not typical of what you know was heard in the you know las vegas strip you know showroom scene there and um so uh, and i got i talked to the bassist uh, walter jones at the time and and we got to chatting, met for the first time, and he asked for my card, so I gave it to him, and um, and that was the end of that. Well, then I ended up getting a call from you in 1996, uh, saying that hey, last minute situation has come up. We need a drummer. Not everybody can do this kind of gig because it involves you know Latin and funk and jazz and you know kind of a hybrid of stuff. And um, he's like, you know, your name came up. Walter gave me your card. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so literally you would come down to my place with, you know, all of the material on, on cassettes and, and charts, horn charts for me to just kind of glaze over. And had, I had literally one day to crash three sets worth of really difficult material. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and I had a day job on top of that. So I was literally using every break I had in my day and then spent most of that night after you left starting to crash everything and just make notes and just prepare as much as I could. Um, and then, so yeah, I, I show up in the gig and everybody's looking at me like, who's this new kid behind the kit, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and we, the first song we did was, you know, a, a, a tune that had a drum solo in it of all things. And so I just went for it. And then after the, after the tune was over, I just kind of glanced and everybody on the stage just went, <sighs> like, okay, we're going to be all right. <laughs> we're going to be fine. <laughs> that is, that's about how I remember it too. And was it, where was the first gig? I believe it was the Aladdin. That's what I was going to say. Yes. So, but now um, it's Planet Hollywood. It's changed, but at the time it was the Aladdin. Yeah, and um, 
it was really difficult music and we were pushing the envelope and doing some kind of wackier covers. Um, Diane was a big fan of um, Cecilia Noel and the wild clams. Out yeah, in LA. yeah. And I had seen them too a couple of years earlier. And so uh, I transcribed those and arranged them for the band. And um, we were just doing all sorts of cool, random things and, three-piece horn section, three-piece uh, background female vocal section, um, four rhythm, and I mean, and then Diane out front just killing it, and it was a really great time. Um, yeah. And we were literally playing like five and six nights a week. We'd be I remember the Aladdin five days, and then, okay, now we're going to be at Caesars, and then we're going to be at the Rio, and um, it was it was a chop buster for all of us. <laughs> it, was in, it was intense. I mean, I was... So I I only expect it to be, you know, as a substitute, you know, under the, you know, early when I when I first got called to 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 play with you guys, I just figured I was going to sub for temporarily, but as it turned out, I ended up getting offered the gig and I was like, "Oh man, this is going to like kill me cuz day job, then 5 nights a week, you know, or 6 nights a week with this band, you know, playing the hard stuff that we're doing." And I know at the time I, I took it as a challenge and I was like, okay, you know, this is fun. This, you know, great group of musicians. I, I love all the players and, and it's, it's killing. So as long as it's fun and I can handle it, then, you know, I'll, I'll keep, keep up with it as long as I can. And then, you know, when I get to that point that I've had enough, then I'll say something, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of how that came out. It's great memories. Big fish happened. And then there was a kind of an offshoot band that, I had a lot of the same players um, that was home cooking, right? A lot of yeah. great players in, in Vegas and um, big group. How big was the group? Uh, ten piece. We had five horns. And uh, yeah. <laughs> fun. <laughs> so fun. So I got to see you guys live a few times. I'd moved out of town by then. Um, but when I was back there living and playing with uh, Tom Jones, then I'd find out where you guys were playing and stuff. And um, so then you guys had how many CDs with that group? Uh, we did two albums and uh, we really pushed hard back then. This was at the late nineties. Then this would have been after, you know, I left big fish, but um, yeah, I was really, this was a, a band. We only played out once in a while, but when we did, we packed any room we played and, you know, talking like, you know, 500 people, you know, a night would come and see us, you know, yeah. and, and we were probably, I think one of the, one of the first bands, if not the first band with only original material to be able to play Las Vegas casinos, uh, because that was sort of unheard of at that time, unless you were some sort of headline act. But, you know, as it turned out, we just happened to have that following. So we were getting called to play Fremont Street or the Riviera or MGM or, you know, station casinos. And and that was uh, that was really cool because we got to, you know, make some decent money, like just doing our own stuff. And in the meantime, we were pushing our agenda of trying to see if we could get signed or see if we could, you know, spread out our, our you know, uh, regional reach. We were touring you know, up in the West Coast, California, Arizona, stuff like that. Just trying to see if we could pick up some momentum. Unfortunately, we just kind of hit a ceiling. And um, after doing so much of that, you know, work and touring on our own and running everything ourselves and selling on our own albums, we just couldn't get the right deal, you know, that was offered, you know, to, that would make sense for a 10 piece band to, to, you know, leave everything behind and try to shoot for the stars. You know, it was, it was tough. And that is so inspirational and, and it's hard to keep something like that going. And um, I started my band DKO in 2001 and same thing. 
it's hard to play the clubs and make enough money. So then you play weddings and do that, um, play original music, play some covers and get it all going. That's why when you find these bands like Snarky Puppy, you know, I mean, oh, it's yeah. really inspirational that they push through and ma everybody made such sacrifices to be able to go on tour and um, do these gigs all over the world and keep it together and keep creating great music, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge, you know, but it's, it's also, it's a labor of love. And so you really have to be willing to, you know, do it as to the best of your ability with the thought of no reward at the end of it ultimately. And it's just like, okay, I have this expression I need to get out and, and just make it happen. And I'll pull together whatever I need to, and I'll finance whatever I need to, you know, if you're that passionate about it and you believe in it that much, then you have to be willing to make those kinds of sacrifices uh, in order to get it off the ground and, you know, and take it as far as you can to eventually get some sort of reward for it. But you have to know that it's going to take you some time to get there. And let's clarify. I mean, yes, the reward is the music and the camaraderie that you have with the other musicians and you're all creating something. Um, that is awesome. But the, the continual sort of um, barrier seems to be, can you make a living by doing that? And it's this oxymoron, right. Of saying yeah. um, you love it. And in order to, for it to be great, you have to spend all your time doing it. So you can't be doing a day job like you were saying you were doing. And um, have you, after all these years, have you had any um, enlightening thoughts that you can share with all of us, including <laughs> myself? Uh, with regard to just how to balance that? Is that what you're kind of saying? How or why is it seem to be less um, common for musicians to have a really great band, to write really great music, to record a great CD? and still not be able to make a living at it. Yeah, that's that's the trick. Um, you know, really it, it comes down to uh you know, who who are you involving uh as your team? Um because you know, it's not enough to just have a band. You have to have people that, you know, can represent that band, you know, whether it's management or an agency or uh, a promoter uh even a publicist, you know? Um, and so depending on what your goal is, first you have to set your goal. You have to say, this is, this is what I want to achieve, right? Make that an outline, like write it down, just make it an affirmation. Like this is the goal. And so now what are the steps you need to take to get to that goal? Okay. I've written songs, check. I've recorded something, check, you know, I've played around town, check what's next. Well, how do I get to this goal? You know? So, um, <clears throat> if, it's a different world today too. That's the other kind of uh, juxtaposition of this. When we were coming up, you and I, you know, in that era, you know, the nineties, you know, that was the era of the CD was still prominent. You know, yeah. we, we didn't have, the internet was, was just brand new and you know, you didn't have streaming, you didn't have MP3s, you know, coming into effect yet, you know, so you could still sell music. You could still uh, be a viable live act and promote yourself and have merchandise and be able to at least uh at a low level still do okay you know um and now that's just all out the window and there is an oversaturation of content being uploaded constantly 
to everywhere. This this goes for all media, music, movies, video games, you name it. It's just it's a free for all now. Everybody can upload anything they want and 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 do their own thing to whatever capacity. But so now it comes down to marketing. How do you get noticed? How do you stand out in that sea of craziness? And uh, you know that's yeah. that's really the smaller goal that you have to uh, uh, shoot for now is okay. What is my audience? What is the niche I'm going for? Who is the target? And I need to focus really hard on that and that starts with just your basic uh friends and family and and whatever uh, uh audience that small on a small scale that you may already have keep catering to that and expand that and even if it's a slow gradual thing uh that has to really be your your, your primary focus because if you try to reach too far you're just going to get lost in the sea <laughs> that's, that's... Well said. Hey, that deserves a this words yes. of wisdom from someone in the trenches doing it. Nice job. <laughs> I um I want to play a little bit of this awesome track that you had me record a trombone solo on years ago. And um was this band Face the Funk an offshoot of home cooking then? Uh not necessarily. It was um it was basically uh, an offshoot of I had you know finished home cooking and I had been developing some ideas on my own uh, kind of in the midst of that because uh, I wanted to try to find my own voice in funk music because I love it so much and I experimented with a lot of different types of tunes and I had found that through that growing process I had called myself out basically on trying to imitate different artists a little bit too closely. And so um, I ended up, you know, just leaving all of those demos kind of to the side. And then once I figured out what my voice was and where I was coming from, I pushed that forward. And uh, even though this song uh, that you're talking about is one of the first ones that I kind of wrote in finding my own voice, um, you know, at the time I was utilizing, um, you know, actually a lot of the players from the Big Fish, you know, so we had, you know, yourself, uh, Phil, uh, had um, you know uh, Nate Wingfield and had Walter Jones and and so that and uh, and even had a Princetta singing with me on some some backups on that. Nice, and yeah. So, so yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. And um, so even though it's one of the older tracks I've had laying around, I I sat on it for a while because I wanted to do a really cor cool horn arrangement on it uh, to kind of intro the tune. And I didn't figure out what that was until you know fifteen years later. <laughs> 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 everything it's like a fine wine right it just yeah. must age and and then you go oh yeah i forgot i had that in the cellar let me go dust it off and um uh, so i was so happy when you sent it to me a, a few years ago and said hey man i released this thing finally and then i kind of remembered <laughs> some of the the solo and stuff because i did we record it right there where you're sitting uh not here but in my my previous studio yeah um because that yeah, was in the early 2000s, or when was it? Yeah, I would. I think that was early 2000s, and uh, yeah, I had a converted garage at that time that I turned into a studio. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it, was... it worked great. So, yeah. um, everyone, check out some of this. This is such a fun tune. It's called "Call My Name" 
Frank wrote it. And um, Frank, what are you doing? You're playing drums. You're playing. You're singing. And and what else? Yeah, uh, playing uh, drums, singing. I'm playing some keys on it. And uh, yeah, that was primarily you know what I did on that. And like I said, yeah, uh, I've got you know all the other cats you know playing the other instruments. Yeah. So here's. Um, the, the chorus into the bone solo and then I end up trading with Phil Wigfall one of my good friends and one of the best sax players you'll ever hear so enjoy this here we go call my name you got the feeling it's all the same why we connected back in the mid 90s it's like there's nothing like funk there is nothing like it man when it's when it's legit you know what i mean and it comes from the the place where you know you know it's authentic and originates from that's all of the all the artists that started it are the ones that inspire me you know in that genre what what do you mean by that when you're saying it's legit or it's the real deal well i mean like all I did was listen to James Brown and Sly and the Family Stone and P-Funk, Earth, Wind & Fire, Tower of Power, Stevie Wonder, you know, The Meters. Uh, all of that stuff, you know, is what really spoke to me the most. And, and so I just try to throw all that in the same, you know, filter of mine and, and put out something that I'm feeling uh, in relation to it. What is the difference to you between rock drumming and funk drumming well i'll tell you one thing they share something in common which is that it requires groove no matter what genre you know it requires the feel and actually a lot of rock drummers come from funk or r&b you know like dave grohl or john bonham or i mean 
dude, I'm sorry, John Bonham is a funk drummer. <laughs> you know? I mean, listen to that groove. It's just, it's got so much fat pocket in it, you know, even though it's hard hitting and aggressive and, you know, yeah, it's rocking, but, you know, the groove behind it really, you know, Tommy Lee, you know, same thing, man, Motley Crue. I mean, um, there's, there's groove behind that. So if you, um, if you apply that to anything you're doing, then it's going to work no matter what. Um, funk drumming, though, like in some aspects can be more subtle and require more finesse depending on, you know, what group it is or what, you know, what the vibe of the tune is, you know, like Tower Power, for example. I mean, uh, I, got, I had the fortunate opportunity to play a show on the same bill with them. It was a Family Stone and Tower Power. We played in Detroit together last end of last year. And so I got to meet Dave Garibaldi, who's in, one of my drum heroes as well. And he is just all finesse. That guy just everything he does is effortless and he's not over having to do anything like overbearing or, or, you know, over the top. He's just, he's there, he's in the pocket. It's it, all of the, the syncopation that he is known for is just coming across like it's, it's butter. And, and I love that. And I'm just like, okay, so this is an, I, an example of how you can just be super funky and be all finesse. You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be, you know, showy. Just you know, uh, just bring that to the music, and it will shine just as much. So, and that's where having style comes into play, and, and having your own personality interjected into what you're playing. Uh, for me, I happen to be more of an aggressive player in general because I come from the rock background, and I apply that to funk and vice versa. I know when to back off, and I know when to rise back up again. So, and that comes from just having a, a composer's mind too, and understanding what the music needs as a service rather than what I need to show everybody. That's <laughs> so right, man. You know, and I love playing with composer arranger types because. Everyone is a better listener when you have written a tune and or recorded a tune because you're listening to all the elements. So you're yeah. not just a customer in the restaurant eating the meal. You've had to make the meal. So you know more about the details. Um, but don't you think in general then um, on a real basic level that rock is basically quarter notes and eighth notes? And funk is more about 16th notes and the subtleties of that syncopation. Um, there can be more subdividing in, in funk for sure, uh, because everything is based on rhythm. And, you know, it goes back to James Brown, the originator, where he basically said, OK, every instrument in this band is the drummer, yeah. you know. And so everything has a rhythmic syncopation thing that that works together because they're all playing in different spots of the rhythm. So even though the drum drummer's holding down like a cool funky beat, the horns are playing syncopated in subdivision off of that. The bassist, the guitar player, everybody's doing that in their own in their own spot, in their own place to play. And uh, that's what makes it that's what makes it funky is is the syncopation. And then of course coming back to the one, that's <laughs> that that was his big thing. He's totally. like fill this space however you like. Hit me on one. <laughs> yeah. um, interesting note about the uh, this trade-off solo between you and Phil it was really an idea that I picked up from you to begin with because you you, you guys used to do that in the Big Fish when we get, get off on some different solo sections and you guys would have this open solo section where you guys would basically be like trading and battling out, you know, and I thought that was the coolest thing. So I wanted to try to capture that 
also that that vibe on onto one of my tunes as well. And yeah, and I'm so glad you asked us to do it because there's not really any recordings of big fish out there. Um, and their videos were way less common. You know, you can't just hold up your phone and do it. So, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and we did a demo, a really nice demo of a few tunes, but it was bef- when the band first started and you weren't on it. Um, right. So um, I was glad to go, man, let's, let's play this tune because it, it, it captures that spirit. I mean, can you imagine playing this stuff six nights a week, uh, <laughs> midnight, you know, and just like yeah. rocking out? That stuff is so fun. And um, one thing I like about that, that you mentioned is that you're you're on the band it's because you knew some people um we were looking for somebody it worked out and then you're on the band you're kind of you're absorbed in it every night and then you learn things musically and then it carries over into your own project and then you mentioned this band one of the bands you listened to as a kid growing up the whole time um the family stone and then next thing you know you're playing with them yeah, yeah, that was a dream come true for me. Um, and, and it's it's really kind of a fun full circle journey story. So if you allow me to tell that for a while, I'll try to keep it short. But please. But basically, it starts. Uh, you know, I was mainly into rock when in my early years uh, as a drummer. Like when I was a kid, I started when I was eight. I was playing professionally by the time I was eleven, and uh, you know, mostly with my parents and whatnot. They were playing in casinos around town, and and so I got my start doing that. But I was really into my own personal taste. I was into rock. I was trying to aspire to like the police and Rush and, yeah. you know, Van Halen and stuff like that. You know, I was really into. Um, then, so by the time I was about 12, um, I watched the movie Woodstock for the first time, which is the 1969 famous concert, you know, documentary film. And I was, I went into that thinking, oh, I really want to see Hendrix and Santana and The Who and bands like that. And little did I know, Sly and the Family Stone would just blow my mind when I saw their segment of the concert because they took 400,000 people and just lifted them up in the middle of the morning like no other band I've ever seen do. And the music was just electrifying anyway. And I love the makeup of the band. They had horns. They had, you know, multiple singers. And, you know, the, the songs kind of hybridized funk and R&B and rock all together a bit. And and it was uh, it was really something special to me, and it spoke to me. And I said, "That that's what I want to do someday, right there." And that's what started my journey into funk and really wanting to learn all about it. So, uh, fast forward to years later, when I'm in home cooking, who you mentioned earlier, uh, in the late '90s, um, there, at the same time the internet was a newer thing. There was a Sly and the Family Stone fan site that was uh, put up and it was kind of explaining what certain members of the band were up to lately. And I was thinking, oh, this is fun to follow, you know? And, and then they uh, had an opportunity to send an email as a happy birthday to Jerry Martini, who's the original sax player in the band. And I said, okay, well, what the heck, you know, I'll just write something and, you know, who knows what'll happen. So, um, so I wrote him an email and wished him happy birthday, hoped he was still playing and doing well and told him I was in a funk band that was directly an inspiration from, you know, being inspired by the Family Stone and having the horns and all that. And, uh, and that was it. I didn't expect to hear anything back. So he did email me back personally to thank me and said, hey, I'd love to hear what your band sounds like. Send me a disc. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so now not only am I talking to one of my heroes, but I get to send him, you know, an album that I've done, you know, so that's pretty cool. So he listens to it and he loves it. And that kind of kicked off a friendship between us. And we just stayed in touch for several years. Uh, and then he, uh, you know, started up the Family Stone touring again. 
Um, and so he'd invite me out to the show and hang out and I'd, you know, meet some of the band members and that was really fun. And, and that was, that was enough for me, honestly. And then about, uh, 2008, I get a call from him, you know, saying that, you know, uh, some, some, uh, member changes had happened and he, uh, was inviting me to, at that point to be their new drummer. Uh, the original drummer was on hiatus. And so he had had a hired gun for a little while up until that point. And, you know, so, so in making some changes, I got offered the spot. And, um, so that was just like, okay. <laughs> and I've still, I still got my full-time video game day job at this point. So I'm like, how does this work with your touring? You know, cause I got this to deal with too. And he's like, well, we mainly tour on weekends. He's like, so if you can take a day here and there, we'll be fine. So I cleared that with, uh, with my company and, and, um, I uh, started touring with them for a few years and that was a blast. And, uh, so then, you know, then after a while, um, the original drummer returned. So then I became a sub and, you know, was just kind of filling in for when he needed me. And then as of a couple of years ago, he went back on hiatus. So then I was invited to come back. And last year we played the 50th anniversary of Woodstock at the original site. So taking it from the, the moment that sparked my, you know, interest in goals, to come full circle and perform for the anniversary of the event that that says it all. And I'll love it. That is awesome, man. Those, this is what Sonic tonic is all about. I mean, what a cool thing. And that's really going with your, your gut, with your passion. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, but here's, here's the sort of, when, when people ask me like, how do you get to that point? You know, how do you, what's the steps you need to take? And I'm like, you know, there's no, there's no real steps to take. It's about relationships. It's about being genuine. It's about just being who you are, offering that to whoever's willing to listen or, or take it on or, or appreciate it. But you know, the friendships and the relationships that you form over time out of simple, genuine interest and, and common, uh, you know, interests that you have, that's what leads to other opportunities and you'll never know when they're going to happen. They just sort of magically do one day, you know, I would have never expected to get that call, but you know, but I did. And that was because I had had a relationship with Jerry up until that point. And that was like a good 10 years, you know? So, I mean, that's, uh, it, it takes just the, the passion behind what you're doing and keep doing it and keep your friendships and relationships going because you're, you genuinely care about these people and, and, and you love what they do and they appreciate what you do and eventually it clicks. Yes. I noticed two things in that story though, that's worth pointing out, I think, because if that's what people are listening to here is trying to pick up, and I hope the viewers are trying to pick up these, these gems and it's not about listening to the show and then going, that was kind of entertaining. That was neat. No, hopefully there's little tidbits in every show. Anything you're doing, be mindful about them and start to change your life and take them to improve things. And so what I'm hearing you say when you mentioned that is you put yourself out there to reach out to Jerry through the Internet. Um, People might think that and then they don't. So why did you do that? I did that because uh, for no other reason that I wanted to... Uh, let him know that I was a huge fan and that what he did specifically inspired me uh, to do what I'm doing at that time. And that, you know, that was uh, something that was important to me. So, um, but I had no expectation that he would even write me back. So just the fact that I sent that out there and that he might get that and read that and maybe get a kick out of it. That was enough for me. Yes. And 
I love the fact of that is that you're being a giver. You're not taking. You're 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 just saying, man, you gave me inspiration. I'm giving you thanks for that. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, most of the time, someone's going to appreciate that, and maybe even reach out and and you just are friends then you know and yeah. the second thing that i find very interesting is that we might go okay you were in big fish we're working our butts off six nights a week not making that much money um really working hard i mean this stuff is challenging man and um, yeah. as a drummer so much physical with my chops you know i mean we were hurting um, i know so but you improve you learn things you get better so then you you did home cooking and you guys scrape together money, you record the CD and everything. What for? I don't know. There's no finish line for it, but it's because you're passionate. So then you have it sitting there, and then he says, oh, really? You have a band? Send me a recording. Most people won't even have a recording. So you actually had this great package thing sounding awesome. You send it. That makes an impression, right? Mm -hmm. um, so each thing is a building block for the next. And so it's it's a nice inspiration hopefully people can take that away from this and go don't everything has validity right yeah yeah it does one of my uh one of my favorite sayings um as far as like from the perspective of giving advice to how to be successful is from actually the comedian steve martin never and, heard uh, of him yeah <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk <laughs> rim shot um but uh yeah, uh, he said that uh, just be so good that you can't be ignored. That was his advice. He says, and people don't like to hear that because it implies they actually have to work at something. But it's true. If you, if you put in the work to be as good as you can be and just get out there and do it, you know, eventually someone's going to take notice. But you have, to, you have to put in the work and you have to get out there and, and show that, showcase that in some way. And, and that's part of it too. Um, you know, Jerry could easily listen to my CD and not like it and say, okay, well, I'm just not going to say anything. And, you know, all right, kid, you know, keep, keep going. But, you know, he actually really did like it. And that's because we really did put in the work to be as good as we could be as, as that type of band at the time. So we're going to have Frank, he played on a DKO song of mine where he recorded a new video just a couple of days ago.
You're listening to Las Vegas drummer Frank Klepacki playing on my tune I wrote for the DKO Electric Quartet called Oban Juan Kenobi. And if you've been enjoying the show and all that Frank has to offer as a musician and composer, please consider donating a few bucks. We can help him out and compensate him for spending his time with us here today. Thanks so much. But I really want to get to this fact that he's a unique person, um, not just being a drummer and a singer and a composer, but actually has had this job that he's referred to several times um, over many years of working for video game companies and writing the music for the actual video games that you play. When you're hearing the music change from scene to scene and do all these things, some of that music is written by Frank. So here's a little sampler of that. Frank Klepacki, composer, producer, drummer, who wrote all those songs for video games. And uh, we're so excited to have him here on Sonic Tonic Experience. My name is Darren Kramer. Frank, tell us a little bit how you got into this and what mindset you have to be in in order to create music like this. So um, I got into this pretty young as well. Um, I I had uh, found out about a company called Westwood Studios. Uh, when I was in high school, um, my cousin was uh, the co-founder, uh, Lewis Castle, and um, he. Uh, I was looking for a, a part-time job over the summer, uh, you know, between my junior and senior year in high school. So he uh, kind of gave me the idea of, hey, uh, why don't you apply to be a, a tester at, at Westwood, you know? And I'm like, what's that? And he says, well, you just basically play video games, try to break them and report your findings. And then, nice. you know. Then we tried. Then we fix what you reported, and then you have to you know verify that it was fixed and all that. And, okay, cool. That sounds fun. You know, who who wouldn't love to play games? Get paid for it, right? And this is in what so, city? Uh, Vegas. Okay. Vegas. Yeah. I mean, I grew up there. So, um, so anyways, I I get in there and I I start doing the job, and uh, you know, little did I know that you know it wasn't as is quite as easy as I thought it was going to be. Um, it's not just play the game and you know all of that. It's you really have to go out of your way 
to break these games. Like, do stuff that doesn't make any sense just for the sake of doing it. Like, you know, what happens if I go to the top left-hand corner of the screen, you know, for no reason? What happens if I try to buy this building and not this one? What happens if I get this tank and and uh, attack specifically this thing? You know, does anything happen? Anything strange? Do I get a glitch graphically? Do I hear anything that's wrong? Do I, you know, uh, does it crash, you know, for no reason? You got to find ways to break it. And then report these findings, what we call bugs. You submit that. The programmers will look at that, try to reproduce it, fix it. Once they feel they have, then they send it back and say, okay, we think we fixed it. Can you verify that? And then we try to do the same thing again. Okay, yeah, it doesn't crash anymore. Great, it's fixed. So rinse, repeat every day of that. Um, so I, I t- had a tendency to wander around a bit, you know, a little bit more than I should have just to, you know, because I was, I was actually genuinely intrigued by what it took to make video games. Like it was like being behind the scenes of a movie set for me. I wanted to find out how does this, how does games get made? Because I love games so much, you know, this is fun, you know, see how artists are creating stuff and how designers are coming up with ways to play it. And the you know programmers are, how are they solving issues and all of these kinds of things? Well, then that led me to audio. And I met the audio director. And, um, and so because I was already a, a player, you know, drummer, uh, he was also a, a bassist. And so, you know, they had like kind of a side band they were doing and they invited me to come jam with them. And so I did that for a bit and I was kind of fun. And um, so needless to say, my, uh, my career as a tester didn't, didn't uh, pan out quite well. But, uh, you know, after I graduated high school, I had, I had hit him up again you know, the audio director. And I said, Hey, you know, if you need an intern or help after I get out of school, you know, I'd love to, you know, do whatever I can to help out, you know, in, in the audio and let me know. And so he's like, all right, you know, and, um, at that point I was composing my own music. So I had a four track at home. I had a you know guitar and a keyboard and I was just messing around and writing my own stuff. And so he listened to my demo and he liked what he heard enough to give me a shot to see if I could, you know, uh, dive into what they were doing. So he gave me some tests and some some different uh, programs to see if how quickly I could learn them and ha- navigate my way around. And eventually, uh, I started uh, just being the full time composer. You know, after after a few months of of proving myself. So uh, that's a very unique situation. I don't know that that would necessarily happen today because back then we're talking about the old Nintendo Entertainment System as the bar to hit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so you talk about stripping things down again to its base bare elements like you know we're talking about the drinks earlier right it's the same thing i've got a melody a bass line a harmony and a, and a rhythm and that's all i've got you know monophonically to work with that'd be like saying hey darren write me a piece with a flute a clarinet a bass and a snare drum go you know and i had to do that for the nes and uh but you know things progressively over time uh you know had uh, evolved you know technology was rapidly increasing so we went from that to sega genesis to super nintendo the pc you know and the audio cards you know had better and bigger capabilities so by the time we get into the mid 90s now we can do streaming audio now we can actually record it and put it in the game the way it's supposed to sound the way we recorded it and it's gone up and up since then now we're using full orchestras you know for the last couple of decades so um it's uh it's been a, a real journey. Uh, in, in fact, that was my college, if you want to think of it that way. You know, what you would have to go to college for now to get enough skill set in order to pull off what's necessary, I actually had the unique opportunity to grow with that industry as it evolved. That's, yeah, and timing does matter, right? Timing and luck do exist. And, yeah. you, and, you, and you hear Steve Martin talk about that too, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. so there is a certain 
thing, but you have to be prepared as well and, and, and be eager and put in the action and, and yeah. put yourself out there. Um, you mentioned orchestra. So yeah, that's the Budapest orchestra that recorded that second tune that we were listening to. The war is evolving. Yeah. Um, so that was for a game called uh, gray goo that uh, I'd done with petroglyph. It's a company that I've been with for the last 14 years. And, um, it was a real-time strategy game, sci-fi, but you know had a really good budget to work with, and and so we were able to make something of of high quality and and a deep story-rich uh, um, game as well. So we had like full motion CG animated cutscenes, and that you know progressed the story along in between your missions, and uh, so we had the budget for an orchestra, which is nice when that happens. And so then um, I uh, flew over to Budapest, um, worked with an arranger there uh, from from Germany, actually, who met me there, and and then we um, both were in, sitting in on the session. Um, I, I could have uh, conducted if I wanted, but I preferred to sit in the booth and really listen for what's happening, so that I can, you know, we can correct any spaces in the music that uh, you know, any any sections of bars or whatever that that are required. Anyhow, um, that was a fun experience. Had a great sounding room, great players, really. I love the fact that uh, the Budapest Orchestra does not fear triple forte. <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll get in there and just dig in, and, and the brass especially is just like I'm like yes. So it's not so no cool. feeling like that. When you recorded it, I mean, uh, wrote for it. Did you um, mock it up and use all synth stuff at home just so you knew what it was 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 going to happen? Yeah, I did. I, I do that for all my scores. Um, I do mock ups for everything. Uh, cause it's never, uh, apparent right up front, whether or not the budget for an orchestra will be there. So it's only once in a while that, that, that happens. And so I have to, you know, really just proceed with the idea that, okay, I need to make this sound as good as I can on my own first. And then if that budget gets approved, great, then I can, you know, get it arranged and, and, and taken care of. But uh, if not, then at least I know what I have will still work. Nice. And that they... And they have done that in the past where you've just used your mock-up? Yeah. In fact, uh, the uh, Star Wars uh, tune, uh, Re uh, Rebellion Advantage, that was done as a mock-up. So that was, uh, that was me doing a simulated orchestra on that and just trying to match it to sound tonally like what the film recordings did. Yes. And that is a challenge. And what's the number one thing you find to be the difference between live versus MIDI? Wow. Uh, it's really about um, the expression, the dynamics, how that really sounds when it's played by human beings. Uh, there is nothing that can simulate that. There just isn't. Uh, you can get close, but you know, there's something to be said for the human element that really makes it just have that organic feel. I mean, music is emotion. It is feeling. And so because of that, you really want the end result as much as possible to to connect with whoever's playing it that way whoever's listening to it that way yeah and i'm i'm about to do a um master class on zoom for asmac which is the society for music arrangers and composers and mm -hmm. and that's one of the main things we talk about especially arranging for horn section um a lot of people will just use midi horns versus real horns and the sound difference is just uh, astonishing. I mean, <laughs> you can't yeah. really um, you can't really simulate it, and it's because of the waveform that actually is coming out of a saxophone or a trombone 
Um, those two in particular. Trumpet, you can kind of hide in there a little bit because it's an octave higher. I don't know what exactly it is about the physics of it. But trombone and sax, you can just hear right away and go, there's a stuffiness, a dead kind of stiffness to it. And um, um, so it's really neat to hear hear MIDI horns and then you hear live horns and go, yeah. And then you've mentioned it too, Frank. You're like, a funk band isn't a funk band if it doesn't have horns, you know? Yeah. So there's a power to that air moving through the horns and going out into the air, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really was um, obsessed with horn sections from an early age, too, uh, just from that very connection. And anytime I had the chance to play live where there was horns, I just enjoyed it that much more uh, because it was like it's, it's like having two bands on stage. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's like you got this powerhouse horn section and then you got the rhythm section like, you know, killing it and and both things together just you know that right combination and if the sounds good on stage it's just everybody feels that and and that translates to an audience versus just a few guys getting up there in t-shirts and jeans and just you know trudging away you know like there's there's more energy there and and it's infectious you have so many skills as a musician and um you know kudos to you thanks uh well, I mean, a lot of that, you know, has evolved over time. And I think that, you know, the modern day musician for today, uh, even if you're getting started, you need to start thinking ahead already about how playing an instrument is not enough anymore, about how having an understanding of recording is important, because especially right now, I mean, we're in the middle of this COVID thing. Everybody's staying home. There's no live entertainment for the foreseeable future until things clear up. And so we have to rely on other means of you know being able to work and or express ourselves and the one way we can do that is to record ourselves and collaborate with people and and if you have to really you know get get your mind thinking about how okay how can i at least get a foundational setup that will work professionally for people so i can record tracks remotely so i can play to a click so i can video myself so i can be part of other video compilation projects and and you know have these these other forms of what we do in place to move forward with that's so right i mean whoever's listening out there you need to take this to heart because um <clears throat> if if you are just playing out live gigs you know we know that's been waning now so it's a really important to be able to record your sound quality but then also video yourself and those can be two separate endeavors and so it doesn't matter what the digital audio workstation is i'm an ableton guy i'm an ableton certified trainer i this speaks to me for live performance and recording and creating ideas but frank he uses cubase and it doesn't matter it's like whatever car you enjoy driving uh, yeah. It'll get you to that place, but you have to have a car. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and um, speaking of like modern technology and all, uh, I want to play a little piece of a bit of Frank's latest release, um, which is super cool with this, all these sounds and really aggressive groove. And it really speaks to me as an electronic music lover. So listen to a little of this.
so Frank, when you're doing, when you're composing a piece like this, what what element are you doing first? Um, a lot of this comes just from different uh, instrument patches that I've dialed up and I'll do a riff on one and a riff on another and a riff on another and then I'll start kind of playing a ranger at that point. And then um, once I get like a, a, a rhythm in place or like the, the you know punch or the vibe I want, then maybe I'll feel like picking up the guitar and adding some you know rock elements to that. So those but were this, real guitars, right? Yeah, I played guitar on that. Um, everything else is synthesized, uh, but... Um, like that's this real. Is, this is one of my favorite parts. Stuff like that that's like a more sound design elements you know that i kind of picked up from uh, a lot of um, edm dubstep kind of you know programmed sounding tracks that i've heard that i that i liked but uh with a lot of electronic music and you can probably relate to this you know for with your musical background too of course is that as composers and people that play live and and have an understanding of how you know real instruments should work if you apply that to electronic music it creates its own vibe that is different from the average programmer electronic artist. You know what I mean? Like anybody can get behind a laptop and, and some software and some plugins and make some electronic music, you know, with that's on a basic level or a very uh, creative programmed level where yeah. there's, it's more about the sound uh, and the way that it moves and, and, and changes. But in this case, I'm applying real musicianship to an electronic piece and applying the sound design and programming. Yeah, I mean, but just like this, where that groove totally changes, to me, that's always a more musical element. Yeah. You know, and instead of just going with the same thing for six minutes. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's coming from your drummer background and loving different grooves and really kind of wanting to do something a little unique. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but just, you know, wanting to do something different uh, with the genres and or tools that are available that people might be familiar with that are cool in their own right, but haven't been applied in maybe this way yet. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the angle that I go with combining hybridizing uh, electronic with, with rock music and with real instrumentation, but also clever sound design and and just arrangement sake of from a composer's state of mind rather than a you know just standard uh, electronic com uh, programming state of mind that's so right that's exactly where i'm coming from with my my electric trombone dj and my electro horns trying to use a live horn section incorporated with ableton with all these modern sounds but this traditional kind of horn section thing arrange that out be real funky like tower of power earth wind and fire chicago um that kind of real forward heavy leading horn sound but on on top of all of this just awesome drum grooves and stuff and i mean this music's a blast right i mean yeah yeah i mean there's so much out there and just about everything's been done to a degree now. So it's, it's really about finding your, your voice, going back to that, and, and finding a, a clever way to incorporate that into 
you know, what speaks to you. And, and if that means crossing some boundaries and shifting some genres together and, and, or, or just being a, a clever arranger, even, I mean, all of that can be what your thing is. And then you can take that and run with it. And that, and that's what people will recognize, you know, like that's for me, a lot of people associate me with the command and conquer video game franchise because I've composed the majority of those games. And that's what a lot of people, you know, enjoyed musically from what I've done since my early years. And a lot of that was very much in that vein. It was the combination of, of all of these different genres of music that were allowed to exist in a video game. And that kind of hadn't been done at that point to the degree that I, that I pushed it. So and I was just allowed to be creative. That's another thing I need to attribute this to. Um, you know, the producers and designers of the game, you know, and my audio director encouraged me to be creative and try a lot of things to see what could stick and what maybe wouldn't. But in the end of the day, they were like, you know what? This variety is actually kind of cool. Why don't we just go with that? You know, oh, it's, so the leadership matters. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. You know, so if, if you're allowed to kind of, you know, try a lot of different things for the sake of seeing what will work, you might be surprised that a lot of it could work, you know, and that's, that's really, really the point. It's great advice. Um, everybody, uh, if you're interested in what you've been hearing from Frank, both of him speaking and from his music, make sure you go to his website, frankklepacki.com. Uh, super impressive website, man, uh, which is no surprise once you've heard the quality of uh, all the things he's talking about, all the stuff Frank's done, and his music. It's like uh, you need this whole package. So if you want to see how to do a website right, go check that out. He's in all these bands, all these different projects, and it's organized really clearly. Uh, you can buy stuff right off of his website. Um, lots of videos, lots of MP3s, and uh, it's really cool. And so um, and also consider um, throwing a few extra bucks to Frank if you're enjoying this this show. Um, I always pass off all the tips to our guests, so um, uh, feel free to just submit any any a dollar. No, no amount is too small, and um, it all helps us keep creating music and putting quality content out in the world. Uh, so thanks for being here, Frank. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Darren. And uh, real quick, I got I to gotta give some credit where credit's due. My website, I'm talking about building a team. Again, we talked about earlier, I you know, had somebody you know, who was uh, passionate about you know, what I did and became friends with and happened to be a, a great web designer. And so he helped me create that. His name is Aiden Ashuri and uh, also a, a musician, fantastic pianist and, and uh, composer in his own right, too. So um, there you go. You, know, you meet people along the way that appreciate what you do and you, you know, exchange information, you keep in touch and eventually end up working together in some capacity. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for the shout out for him. Um, that's very kind. Um, you know, we're all on this path together and let's combine and collaborate and um, be friends. You know, all this fighting that's going on in the world, that's not really necessary. <laughs> no, we, we need to be championing each other you know yeah. in in each other's uh, goals and and support and just you know even if it's just lending an ear or offering any kind of you know tidbit of of advice all of that stuff does count account for something no matter how little it is and you know th there's been so many things and anecdotes and and experiences that i've you know taken over the years that i've been able to apply to what i do now you know uh, meeting you all those years ago and working with you, I learned things from you that I carry with me to this day as well, Darren. So, you know, I, I thank you, of course, for that, you know, whether you realized it or not. 
<laughs> no, but I remember us. I remember us just, you know, speaking on the same level, and uh, you were all eager and putting in the work to want to make these songs right. And uh, I was, you know, I, I know I was fairly demanding about it, and I was the MD for the band, and I just wanted to be cool. And uh, there's a lot of details in a great funk band. And, yeah. Um, and one we, of the things that you said that stuck with me all these years was that. Uh, a solo isn't just a guy getting out there and, and playing over what the band's doing. A solo is a musical conversation, and you should actually interject into that conversation to accent and, and, and give it some back and forth. You know? And so I took that to heart, and, and anytime you guys were going off and doing solos in the horns, or, or anybody for that matter, I would find ways to kind of throw in things in between what you were doing or uh, to, to accent with what you were doing. If I felt where it was going and and that really did make a difference in in the presentation of what we were doing and the excitement around what we were doing and the excitement and, is so right and what even to this day when i go and hear there's a lot of bad jazz out there so i get why people don't like it um when it's really great there's nothing better than jazz but what is the difference it's the communication it's not mm -hmm. just regurgitating your solo, your ideas over what's happening in the background. You're all communicating, and there's an energy that's happening. It's like somebody just talking and kind of lecturing a group of people. That's not fun, you know? Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, and we got to give a shout-out to um, several people. Uh, Phil Wigfall, sax player that was in the Big Fish Horns and still doing it heavy in Vegas. And then the trumpet player was my good friend Greg Neer, who had just moved to town and was playing a lot of Dixieland jazz in the day. And then we were doing <laughs> big fish in at night funk. And then sometimes we'd even be doing salsa gigs too. Um, oh, so wow. Greg, Greg yeah. near uh, was a big part of that. And we really had a nice synergy between the three piece horn section and then interacting with the rhythm section who the guitar player was Nate Wingfield, who then you ended up yeah playing with on the family stone with, with him too right yeah and that's and that's another quick anecdote too is that when we met that first day that i played the gig with you guys uh it was on a break i went to go get some food and and nate came with me and so we just got to chat and we asked each other so who's your favorite band both of us said flying the family stone <laughs> and then all these and then then 10 years later we're playing in that band together unreal aim high right set your goals high so hopefully um, all your words of wisdom and uh, this fun conversation can help people out there. Again, if you're interested in getting in touch with Frank Klopacki or buying any of the music that you've been hearing here or playing the video games that he wrote music for, just go to frankklopacki.com. He lives in Las Vegas. And um, we got to wrap up here. Man, Frank, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I know you're a really busy person and um it's really great to catch up this way and share this with the world so um yeah man absolutely as soon as they start uh opening things up a little more we should definitely have an, one of these uh vanilla vodka <laughs> sodas in person in vegas so i'll see you soon. it's my friend <laughs> that's right <laughs> good man well take care of yourself you too take care <laughs>